0: Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. You all know I love skincare, and some skincare conversations are like for people that want to go deep, deep, deep into skincare, this episode is for you. But actually, I think it's also for skincare beginners, because I think what's happened, unfortunately, in the skincare landscape in the industry, we all know there was a huge boom during the pandemic around skincare, right? People were very interested in skincare, what they could buy, what serums, which lotions and potions and creams they could layer onto their skin to look as good as they've ever looked. So what happened was there's been an influx of skincare consumerism, there's been an influx of skincare products, and it can become very confusing to understand what you should be looking for when you're shopping. And I'm just very excited about bringing this conversation that's so rooted in research to the Naked Beauty podcast community. I'm talking to Brian Barron, who is the director of skincare research for Paula's Choice. He breaks things down in a way that's so easy to understand. And he was able to really answer my questions around what to look for in certain skincare products, what to avoid, what to do if your skin is oily. But also, I really loved hearing him talk about his own skincare routine because he's like me. He's like in detective mode. He's writing things down. He's saying, okay, my skin's plateaued with this product. Let me layer in this product. We're able to really get into like the nitty gritty of how to build a skincare routine that's going to be supportive to you and your specific needs. And just again, that education, knowledge is power when it comes to skincare. And the more you know, the more informed decisions you can make. But I have to say, in all of the brands I've kind of had the opportunity to work with or just talk to or just kind of get to know the team, Paula's Choice does stand out to me as doing really phenomenal work. The skincare ingredient checker I'm going to link to in the show notes, game changer for me. I love understanding what's in my products. I asked Brian about everything from... What does pH balance in skincare mean? Do I need to pay attention to it? What should I use for hyperpigmentation? What should people with oily skin look out for? Why I don't like slugging. My skin doesn't like slugging. We talk about that too. It was a real treat and pleasure to have this conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. And if you learned something, share it with a friend. You can always tag me as you're listening, Naked Beauty Planet. Let's get into it. Okay, beauties, this is such a treat. I am joined by Brian Barron, who is the director of skincare research and Paula's choice. Thank you so much for being on Naked Beauty. So it's very confusing being someone who loves skincare right now in the year of 2023. There are so many options. There's so much being thrown at us. There's like, it seems like a new product every single week. Prices are just across the board. So you've got serums for $4. You've got serums for $400 there are extreme claims. I feel like like claims are getting more and more extreme. I see things like reverse aging, youth beauty, Sarah. I mean, things are, I feel like we've really come to a point in the skincare conversation where one of the things that is needed most is clarity and information, which is one of the reasons why I love Paula's Choice, because everything is back in science. You educate people as a large part of your role about ingredients and what is in skincare and what's good for your skin. Why are you so passionate about sharing this kind of skincare research and knowledge with people?
1: Well, it's essentially become my, my life's work. I discovered Paula Begon, the, the Paula and Paula's Choice. I discovered her books when I was a teenager. Uh, this, is, this is pre-internet well, maybe the internet was available for governments, but not for the average person. And I found her book, Don't Go to the Cosmetics Counter Without Me. And I was struggling with um, very bad acne. And I, I wouldn't say that I got to the point where I was completely despondent, but it's fair to say that it was definitely taking a toll on my self-esteem during those very fragile years when you just want to be liked and accepted and feel part of a group. And um I was very much, I felt on the outside because of how I looked. And I've always been, I've always had a curious nature. I was researching before I really knew what research was and what it entailed. And I um, I found her book at a bookstore and just was was so taken by it because the advice was so radically different than what I was used to reading. And like, I used to I have three sisters and I used to um, take peeks into their um, fashion magazines, like 17. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember Sassy, Mm -hmm. Um, but all of those, because I was like somebody, you know, there was only so many places you could go to look for information back then. And Paula's advice that I decided to try because I was tired of spending money on products. I would, you know, take odd jobs and earn money. And I, I fell into the whole consumer trap of, um drugstore skincare can't be good because it's too cheap and my skincare problems will finally go away if I just save up enough money to start buying things from the department store and maybe natural all natural is the way to go and i just every myth i fell for and more often than not i was disappointed either because i wasted money on a product that didn't do what it said or because if i had really thought that claim through i could have come up with the fact that it just wasn't possible. So that led me on this path to make sure that I I, I definitely had a passion for skincare and skincare ingredients, and I wanted to help as many people as I could to really understand and get to the bottom of not just why we deal with some of the things we do with our skin, but what is out there that can realistically solve the problem or at least help solve the problem. Uh, Because obviously there, there is a point, and we're always very realistic about this, where skincare stops, can only do so much. And then what a dermatologist can do via cosmetic corrective or surgical procedures is your next step. You can go down a different path and keep spending money and keep hoping that the next product is going to lift or stop that wrinkle or whatever the concern is. But from our viewpoint, it's very important to say, Skincare can do a lot but it can't do everything and here's here's what you can consider when you get to that point where you're like you know I think I've plateaued with what skincare can do and it doesn't mean that you stop skincare it means that you are informed about what else is out there to help you get the skin you want
0: I love that and I, I there's something that you said that I actually wrote down how often people waste their money on a product that didn't do what it said it would do and I want to get into that because Oftentimes, as consumers, you just look for specific words. Brightening, revitalizing, you know, dew maker, glowy. What? Okay, so if it's glowy, what am I looking for on the back of the package? And that's why I'm really excited about the ingredient checker specifically, because it's like people need to understand what's in skincare to give you like these specific results. So understanding what's in your skincare or makeup, I think is incredibly important I think about how people want to know what's in their food I think we will get to a place where more and more people will just feel like they have to know what's in the things that they put on their face and what's in their skincare and their makeup. Why do you think it's important for consumers to have these tools like the ingredient checker that you all have on on your website that's such check into this resource
1: I it, it's really because there's so much misinformation out there coming from from all sides. There's even misinformation coming from certain people that may have the best intentions, but they they may not be going to the best sources to find out the truth. You can't find good skincare. So it, it is really about when you know and understand ingredients and, and can more easily interpret the back of a label, which takes a lot of time and a lot of study. I mean, and this isn't something that I think every consumer is just going to become uh, adept at because quite frankly, who has that much time? I mean, I get paid for it, which is great, but what the consumer on the fly, especially with a tool like the ingredient checker can do is start to get a better understanding of what is in their products in terms of the ratio of beneficial ingredients to those ingredients that now aren't necessarily doing anything for your skin, pro or con, but at the same time, they're necessary in a formula because they're creating the texture. They're holding unlike ingredients like oil and water together. They're keeping the product free of microbial contaminants. So there's that knowing which ingredients are really serving your skin like, oh, this ingredient is helping with hyperpigmentation. This ingredient is going to moisturize. This ingredient is going to help defend my skin from free radicals that are, you know, everywhere. And then this ingredient is keeping the product whipped together so that every time I use it, I get that same sensorial experience. And, and there's that intense, it started with food labels. You're absolutely right. There's that intense curiosity people are are just hungry for that information because for so long it was hidden or you were made to feel like you went up to the cosmetics counter and you were just expected to nod and and go along with whatever they were telling you you weren't expected to challenge it yes if you did you were looked down on or you were they they would turn you away i mean it was it was ridiculous back in the day
0: oh my gosh well i'm i'm grateful that i haven't had those experiences with buying skincare at the beauty counter, but I can imagine that I can envision like the snobbery and and the being turned away. What I love that you have are these groupings, best, good, average, bad, and worst. And I'm going to share with you a, a very fancy... Uh, high-end moisturizer, not a product I use, but I said it was a, this product retails for $250. It comes in a gold bottle. And I was very surprised to see that a lot of the ingredients were coming up as bad. There was a lot of average. And then some were actually in that worst category, fragrances and dyes. Now, I have talked to other members of the Paula's Choice team about Fragrance, and I do use some products with Fragrance for the the sensory experience. I know they're not helping my skin. (laughs) I know that they're, you know, likely likely not doing anything good, or they're definitely not doing anything good, and I hope that it's not doing too much harm. But the reason why I bring up this expensive cream is I was actually very surprised to see in something so expensive that there were so many things that were marked average and bad. Um, Isn't that shocking? It's shocking. So it also kind of submitted this whole spiral about the cost of skincare. So what do, what do you, how do you think about this correlation between the quality of the ingredients and the cost of the fulfillment?
1: So there are absolutely quality ingredients out there. I, you'll sometimes hear our companies say that um, there there's different grades of ingredients, at least that's what we were told when you know we would question these very expensive products. I have yet to meet an ingredient supplier that says, you know, oh, here's our, here's our low grade vitamin C ester. Here's our mid grade. But if you really want the good stuff, you got to use this one. No, they, they, they create these beautiful ingredients and they, and the the good suppliers will, will do the right, you know, studies uh, so that you can see what kind of claims you can make. And then if you're Paula's choice, you also consult the independent scientific research. So we can say, okay, here's what the suppliers are saying. They have a vested interest in making sure that their ingredients look good to brands like us. What does the third-party research say? So we weave all of that together. But in terms of cost, what a lot of consumers would be shocked about is that, especially for some of these jaw-droppingly expensive products, the packaging is the biggest driver. I can guarantee you the packaging, because that packaging is often stunning. You know, you don't want it on your bathroom counter. You want to put it out on your mantle next, (laughs) you know, next to your crystal. It's just gorgeous. Right, right. But that's what you're paying for. And that's not to say that those products don't or can't have some good ingredients in them. But when you're looking at an expensive formula and the first few ingredients are water and denatured alcohol and maybe a glycol type ingredient, those are inexpensive. Those are not the makings of a $250 moisturizer. So unless they have something that's so rarefied that it's worth the cost and there's really good data behind it, saying it does what the company claims it's going to do, then that's just not worth the money. There, you can, one thing I've learned over the years and looking at thousands and thousands of products and talking to cosmetic chemists uh, who formulate these products and talking to raw ingredient suppliers, there are good and bad products in all price ranges. And what goes into a product often has very little to do with what the final price will be because so much of the cosmetics industry is about imagery. Yes. You know, the, the perception uh, of luxury versus actually creating a luxurious product. And we try to live in that sweet spot where we, I'm not saying that Paula's Choice Skincare is inexpensive, um, we definitely have some higher priced products, but we try to make sure that they are as feature packed as they can be based on what we need to do in terms of uh, how the ingredients work together and the type of packaging we choose. For, for example, some of our products that we sell at retail are in boxes because it's, it just makes them more uh, easy to display on a shelf. It's more consumer friendly, really try to put more, more money in the formula.
0: And I love that. And I think the other thing that you have educated me on through just social media is how much packaging impacts the quality and performance of skincare, right? So there are some of the most expensive skincare I own is in a jar, but actually a jar is not going to protect the integrity of that formulation. Can you talk more about
1: how to look for really good skincare packaging? Generally, you want to look for packaging that protects the ingredients from routine exposure to light and air. That's That's the gist of it. And uh, some brands have put some of their formerly jar packaged products into airless jars. And those are a really interesting alternative because they have that disc on top. You press it down, a little bit of the product comes out through the center, and then there's another disc inside that you can't see that's lifting the product inside up as you dispense. And that is a brilliant way to help protect the contents from routine exposure to, to light and air. So obviously, that when you're on that path, you want to avoid something that comes in clear packaging as well, particularly if it's got um, very sensitive actives like retinoids, retinol, various forms of vitamin C, even the more stable forms of vitamin C, and there's definitely some great ones out there that can last longer under those exposure conditions than pure vitamin C, for example. But still, they eventually go bad, as do plant oils and plant extracts. Yeah. How long should we be keeping vitamin C? It depends. If you're talking ascorbic acid, which is um, the most researched, but the least stable form and the most difficult to formulate with, and you're doing everything right, you've got a stable formula, you've got good packaging, you're not, and the consumer at home isn't storing these products in conditions where the temperatures are wildly fluctuating, three months for that type of product once you open it. For the more stable forms of vitamin C, again, assuming the packaging is is smart, up to a year or more. Okay. So like the Paula's Choice C15,
0: I've had it for a year. Is it time to retire it? Have you opened it? It's been opened and used, but I'm I'm almost at the end. Okay, and it, it, it feels like it's working the way it did when I first got it.
1: Good. In that case, if you haven't noticed
0: uh, a color change, yes, yeah, so that's the other thing, right? Because what's what color changes should people be looking for to see if their vitamin C is still active?
1: When it starts going from like a a, a straw, a pale straw color. And then it starts darkening. It starts getting more like a golden blonde. And then when it starts getting into the orangey copper coloration, the vitamin C is gone. It's, it's time to... It's Yes. If you're using that product for vitamin C, it's definitely time to move on. If there's other ingredients in there, like a lot of them contain uh, frulic acid or derivatives, um, those are likely still fairly stable. And it's not necessarily that harmful to skin to use vitamin C once it's past its prime. It's just, it really becomes more of a why bother. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I'm always looking to reduce
0: my hyperpigmentation beyond sunscreen. What specific ingredients should we be looking for if we're searching for skincare that addresses hyperpigmentation? Again, you get all of that marketing fading serum, discoloration corrector. But what are the, what are the, Let's get down to what are the ingredients we should be looking for on the back of that label.
1: Thank you for mentioning sunscreen, because that is a critical part of maintaining your normal skin color and stopping new discolorations from forming. A lot of people will leave that out. And I'm like, you can't. You can't. It's 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 like, you know, you can you can have the vegetable, but if you're not eating any other, any other types of nutrients, then forget about it. So it is a little bit confusing when we're talking hyperpigmentation for two reasons. One, there are several bioactive ingredients that can be effective. Two, consumers, and I, I used to be this way, they tend to they tend to focus on using one ingredient. So I've got one concern there's got to be one great ingredient out there that's going to that's going to treat it. And then they kind of cycle through all these products and they don't use any of them long enough to really get to the point where you're going to see great results. The other thing is that research has shown that for a lot of types of discoloration, particularly those that are more deeper in skin, what what a person would describe as a stubborn dark spot for example, it takes a blend of those ingredients. So vitamin C and tranexamic acid, and then maybe even a retinoid in that mix. And then you have to figure out how to layer them. Do you use them once or twice daily? Most of them can be used twice daily. But if, you, if you're one of those people that notice that such an application pattern causes um, irritation, then you need to... It's not about stopping the products altogether. It's about, okay, how do I scale back? Maybe I use these two products in the morning and this one at night, or maybe I I just switch days. But there's a lot of good ones out there and you kind of have to to try them and figure out what works best for you. And I know that it's, it's a, that's the honest answer, but it's also the frustrating answer, particularly if you're on a limited budget.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that the discolor—I think it's called the discoloration repair serum that um, you all sell. It comes in a purple bottle, and it has—it has that tranexamic acid. But I think it doesn't. It also have kojic acid, or am I am I mistaken? Oh no, it has
1: niacinamide. It has niacinamide? It has niacinamide. We we did consider kojic acid. Um, it isn't as that one is harder to keep stable. Okay. Kojic acid is in the right, it can be a good ingredient. It's just very finicky. And it, all too often, it just kind of peters out in a formula and it doesn't play well with other ingredients. And so we did the tranexamic acid at 3%, the niacinamide. And then we also used efficacious amounts of milk thistle seed oil and vitamin E. Those aren't necessarily called out as much. Um, Milk thistle seed oil, it has a chemical compound in it called silymarin, as well as one called silyben. And what those really excel at is reducing several different inflammatory pathways in skin and inflammation. Inflammation drives so much of what we end up not liking about our skin, whether it's inflammation from sun damage, whether it's the inflammation that's at the core of acne, and particularly for uh, the skin discoloration issue known as melasma, inflammation plays a role behind the scenes there as well. That's one of the reasons that melasma is so stubborn and can be so difficult to treat because there are so many inflammatory triggers that can bring it back. You know, you're making progress. It's very much two steps forward, one step back. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm
0: happy that you found that kind of correlation of the right products that give you the results. And that's like what I want everyone to figure out, like, right. Like what's the common thread between the things that my skin is consistently loving. I always tell people to like journal, what their skin reacts well to
1: me too. Okay. I I tell, I tell people they have to be skincare detectives. Yes, exactly. You know, is it particularly if you're going through phases where your skin is reacting to any new product you introduce, look at the ingredients, try to find, as you mentioned, that common thread because it may not be what you think it is, you know, and, and, and look, for example, a lot of people will say, okay, okay, that's natural. That's natural. That's fine. That can't be doing anything. And then they, they come to the ingredients that are synthetic, but that, that are difficult to pronounce. And they're like, oh, I wonder if it's the, you know, that one with 15 syllables, right? You know, and and so that's they you know, they, they kind of unknowingly demonize those synthetic ingredients, because they're construed as chemicals. Exactly. And you could be allergic to hazelnut oil
0: and and your skin may not like nut oils. And that's like a natural ingredient that may not agree with your skin. A lot of people don't have great reactions to nut oils. Um, so yes, 100% with you on the meat. You know, I've heard you talk about the way that products are formulated and developed with the end consumer in mind. And I think for a lot of people of color, there is this assumption that there are not diverse testing cohorts, that that products are not formulated with melanated skin in mind. So how does one, polish Choice, account for who the end user is going to be? But two, how can consumers get a better understanding on if the claims that skincare companies are making have
1: diversity in their sample size, in their the, sample group? So specific to Paula's choice, a few years ago, we've always done external panel testing with any of our, our reformulations or our new products. We really want to know what people outside of the company, both people who are new to the brand and have been using it for a while, think about the product. So we we will recruit panel, we will um, look for people in the age range and with the, obviously with the type of concern that the product is meant to address. If it's an acne product, we're not recruiting people whose main issue is very dry skin, for example. In years past, though, we weren't paying as much attention to the skin color of the participants. And we realized that was a shortcoming. And so we started asking our panelists to identify their skin tone from what's called the Fitzpatrick scale. Now, I'm not saying the Fitzpatrick scale is the end all be all of skin tone identification, but it's a very helpful tool for us to show we show a series of images to the panelists and they they choose which one most closely matches your skin color. And so now we are being much more purposeful in making sure that every panel test we run has that diversity of skin colors so that we can get that feedback from it's not a wider range of people in terms of the sheer number of people. It's just a, it's an intentional, uh, wider range of skin tone. So we have a much better sense coming to market of how that product, uh, interacts with people of various skin colors. Cause that, that's the world.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you, um, integrated that into the way that products are being tested. I mean, obviously you don't have visibility of what, what everyone in the skincare world is doing, but should we assume that most brands are not doing this? Are, are Is there a push for more brands to do this? I mean, I think it's it's really important to understand if you are especially hyperpigmentation, something that affects people with melanin very differently, you want to know that a product was developed to treat hyperpigmentation
1: for dark skin. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, that, that inflammation drives so much of that. And in people with more melanin-rich skin, uh, melanin, the... the um, Creation of excess melanin that fuels that hyperpigmentation. Uh, it's more co- it stands to reason it's more common. The more melanin you have in your skin, the more it's going to be involved in the inflammatory process. Whereas somebody with a lighter complexion like me, I'm not going to see that excess melanin so much. I, I might see some yellowing because lighter skin tones tend to have more of that yellowish red melanin versus the the brown melanin and darker skin tones, but I'll see pink and red marks. And you'll see a darker brown mark. Right. And so it's it, you're absolutely right. They need the people with more melanin risk skin absolutely need to be more careful and more selective. And, and really the operative word is gentle. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to use anything that's going to drive inflammation in the skin. You want to take steps topically to reduce it. In terms of what other brands are doing uh around that issue, it's a it's a question that consumers will have to, if the brand isn't forthcoming about it, then they just have to go to the brand and ask them directly.
0: Yeah. I'm 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 gonna start becoming actually much more aware of this. And when I speak to founders and people in the skincare space, I'm definitely going to ask about the panel testing. Now, about how many people are usually on a
1: panel for a test? On average, uh, we will recruit 60 people. 60 people, okay. Yeah. For okay. some, depending on the scope, we may go up to a hundred. And then this is this is um, independent of the. Uh, for for some of our formulas, actually, for an increasing amount of them, we're we're doing uh, a whole separate set of clinical tests, which is a whole separate set of people. And but the same principle when we work with these third party clinical labs, we say this is how many people we want. You need to have at least you know uh, this percentage of the panel has to have the skin color, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's it's such an important part of the way products are developed. And I think something for people to be extremely mindful of. Now, if you have dry skin, what ingredients do you want to look for on the back of labels? And like, what is, okay, this is not going to be great for my skin. Now, of course, not everything is one size fits all, but I'm just wondering if there are yeah. certain ingredients that like, if, if if dry skin is one of the things that you struggle with, like, these are some
1: some ingredients to look for. So you, you want to look for emollients. You want to look for humectants. Those are the two big ones for dry skin. And some examples of common emollients are going to be your triglycerides like caprylic capric triglyceride, which typically comes from coconut, petrolatum. I know it's Vaseline. A lot of people are scared about that. You don't need to be the kind that goes into skincare is perfectly safe for you. And, and honestly, you know, it would in the scientific literature, petrolatum uh, is 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 glorified. It's one of the best emollients yes. um, for, for dry skin. But there's other ingredients. Can I ask con- you a
0: question about petrolatum specifically? I'll just yeah. call it Vaseline for short. <laughs> slugging has become this thing. Everyone's obsessed with slugging. And I, as a dry skin girl, was very excited about slugging. And I wanted to try slugging and get into it. And my skin, I've, I tried Aquaphor, before, I tried the CeraVe, I tried the Vaseline. My skin just does not react well to it. I don't know what it is. Is there something in petrolatum, even for people with dry skin, that sometimes doesn't agree? I don't, I, I don't know if, like, in my head, I'm like, oh, my skin couldn't breathe. Like <laughs> Your skin doesn't breathe. But it, it felt more congested.
1: It did not look great and stunning in the morning. It was not for me. <laughs> I mean, there there could be many factors at play. Those ingredients are occlusive. And so they, they can, even though you're right, skin doesn't breathe. It doesn't have a respiratory system. But we all know that feeling of having something on our face that's just so thick and occlusive that it you almost can feel yourself start to sweat. Yeah. That could be it. It could be an inner... I don't know if you were using the those ointment-type products and nothing else, or if you were putting it on as like the last step. I was putting right. it on as the last step, yeah. Okay. So it could be that it was just too much for your skin all at once. I think slugging is a harmless skincare fad for most people. I wouldn't recommend it if you have acne, simply because it's just going to make your skin feel very sludgy. Petrolatum actually won't clog pores or cause acne. The molecular size of it is just way too big. But uh, getting back to the dry skin and what to look for, non-fragrant plant oils, um, like the nut oils you mentioned, grapeseed oil is fantastic, evening primrose oil. I love grapeseed oil. Yeah, barrage oil. Don't go for products that are loaded with the essential oils, which are fragrant oils. They have some benefit for skin in terms of antioxidants, but the volatile compounds, for example, that make eucalyptus smell like eucalyptus and lavender smell like lavender they interact with the air and they can damage your skin. Mm. So those are the types of ingredients to look for. Watch out for products that contain a high amount of denatured alcohol, uh as well as drier finish ingredients like silica, isododecane, isohexadecane. Those are both powdery dry finish solvents. Those can be great for oily skin. Like on the other they they're, they're not irritating ingredients, but if you are if you are a dry skin person, you want to look for those more nourishing, cocooning type ingredients, your shea butter, cocoa butter. Dry skin, this is an area where natural ingredients, the kind that are good for skin, can really shine.
0: Yes. And so for oily skin, you said some of the things to look for. What should you avoid for oily skin?
1: Also the denatured alcohol, which turns up in oily skin products a lot more than it does for dry skin. Anything that makes skin tingle, Oftentimes, products for oily skin will be described as astringent or purifying, which are kind of code words for this product is likely full of drying and irritating ingredients. I used to have really oily skin. I would do whatever I could to degrease it. I mean, rubbing alcohol, sea breeze, I would wash my face with noxema. It was terrible. And, you know, you end up stripping your skin so much that in response, when you already have those oil, overactive oil gland, your skin starts pumping out more oil and it's this vicious cycle because you're like ah oh. and so you wash your face more and you use more of the stripping stuff so oily skin will do best with lightweight layerable water-based textures yes and i tell this to people even when they because we will talk to people that are breaking out they're they're dealing with legitimate acne, not just like clogged pores, and yet yet they also have dry skin. So there's something going on with their skin where the sebum, the oil, isn't really a contributing factor to the breakups. There's something else going on, and yet a lot of the acne products that they use make their dry skin worse. So what I tell them is you have to use thinner textured products, even if it means two or three, as opposed to one rich and creamy product, and layer them. Layering skincare is is so important. Yeah, you got to get your skin up to the hydration and the moisturization it needs without introducing heavy ingredients like uh, some of the thicker, more saturated oils like coconut oil, great for dry skin, terrible for oily skin, jojoba oil. That can be very good for dry skin because chemically it, its composition is very close to our own oil. Yes, our own oil. I was just going to
0: say that, which is actually a perfect segue into pH and like the pH of the skin, because that is something that I would love more clarity around where pH balance comes into play for specific. Skincare products. I know your calm line is great because it's really developed like with sensitive skin in mind. There's a lot of barrier damage happening. People are just, you know, to our point about inflammation, they're causing inflammation by doing all of these acids and actives and too much at once. Um, but where does pH balance come into
1: play when you're selecting products? There's good news on this front because for the most part, when you're selecting products, you don't need to worry about the pH. Okay. And that is because unlike twenty, thirty years ago, when there was a lot more alkaline products out there, which are bad for skin, because skin's pH is naturally acidic. It okay. depending on the research you're looking at, it 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 has a range, but it stays in the acid side. Um and it averages out about uh four and a half. Okay. So the pH scale. Zero is like very strong acid. Zero would would burn your skin all the way up to 14, which is highly alkaline, which would also burn your skin. The vast majority of, of leave-on skincare products that are available today are pH balanced to fall within the natural pH range of skin. Leave-on exfoliants, your AHA, BHA, PHA, those have a a tighter pH requirement in order to work their exfoliating magic uh, usually between pH of 3 and 4. Some would say up to 4.2 is still good. I would agree with that, but I don't think it's quite as effective because as the pH starts to go past 4, those acids start to do what's called salt out, which means that they 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 start losing some of that keratolytic ability, that ability to break those bonds that are holding those dead cells to the surface. But that's really about it. You don't have to worry about it too much.
0: Well, that's, that's very helpful uh, to hear. We talked earlier about how this tool is really great in terms of identifying what you like in skincare. So one of the common threads that I realized is that my skin and like like I just love grapeseed oil. And I've noticed that in all of my favorite body oils and facial oils, grapeseed is like really high up there. So now I've just actually just gone and bought just the pure cold pressed grapeseed oil so I can make my own body oil and not spend so much money. Is there anything that you have discovered your skin reacts really well to just by doing
1: this research and kind of finding these common threads? My skin uh, has reacted very well to peptides. Mm. The type of peptides that are are called signal peptides, where they uh, work within the uppermost layers to send signals to the lower layers of skin to do various things, typically in regards to either repair or in regards to... Um, stimulating more of those minor substances in skin that are still really critical. Like you talk a lot about um, the the main collagens in skin are collagens one and collagens three. That's the lion's share. But there are some minor collagens like collagen seven that play really important roles in terms of skin's architecture, keeping everything together, um, sending the right messages to other substances so that skin can maintain some resiliency and firmness. So what I I love about peptides is how highly specialized they are. They're very targeted. And it's, it's, it's fun putting together those formulas with the different ones, you know, and seeing how they play together. And unlike ingredients like retinol, which not everyone can tolerate, I have yet to meet someone who just can't use any peptides. Right. It's one of those things that's gentle and nourishing for your skin. Yes. And and they, they've gotten better and better over the years. And the, the first generations of peptides, you had some interesting label claims. But when they kind of peeked under the hood, they're like, you know, the enzymes in skin are probably breaking this peptide down before it can reach its target cell or before it can send the right message. So you've got it in there and you can make the claim, but you're not getting the efficacy. So, but... Successful failure. They've gotten better and better over the years, but that looking back, I'm glad that Paula's Choice wasn't coming out like in 2004, 2005 with a ton of peptide products. The research just wasn't there to support their efficacy for skin. It was promising, but flash forward to today and we know so much more and now we're actively using them and and we're seeing great results. Yes. I
0: love your peptide stands. Um, We touched a little bit on layering skincare products. What's the right order to layer your skincare products? Could you help break that down? Because I do
1: think there's still confusion about it. The easiest thing to keep in mind is that products should be layered by texture. It's it's few and far between that certain products can't be used at the same time. I know there's a lot of worry that this is going to cross-react with this, make it less effective, no, it's it's very much like your diet in the sense of your, your body knows what to do with the food you eat, regardless of what order you eat them in, or uh, whether or not you wait twenty minutes between your broccoli and your chicken entree or whatever. Thinnest to thickest texture is is the general rule. However, there are some formulas, and there, I wish there was like a concrete you know law or a line you could draw and say, ah, oh, that's going to do that. Not always the case. So there may be situations where you encounter what you want to layer, you're doing from thinnest to thickest texture, but then you're finding that you're getting some pilling or some rolling of the products. There's some sort of a incompatibility going on. It doesn't mean that the actives are going to cancel each other out, but it, it means that the base that the products are in, there, there's some, some repelling, if you will that's going on. So in that case, if you just can't get it to work by switching things up a little bit, like maybe when you apply that as step three, then it won't roll. But if you do it as step two, and then you follow with your third product, then you get the pilling. You got to experiment, but it may come down to separating the time of day you use those products. Oh, say more about that. So for example, let's say you are, you want to layer You have a a, a vitamin C product. You've got a hyperpigmentation product, and you've got a um, just an all-around like let's call it a blue light serum. You know, you're worried about blue light. You're sitting in front of a computer screen all day. Should I be using one of those?
0: (laughs) Just as you said that, I was like, do I? Just as you said that, I was like, should I be using a blue light serum? I don't have a blue light serum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in terms of sitting in front of your computer, you just have to disable the blue light. You you need to turn it into uh, what's called night mode. Which puts out more yellow light than blue light. It can take some getting used to because it can it, it give more of a golden cast to everything. And you have great skin, so so maybe
0: I need maybe I need to uh, to, to, to uh, disable blue the blue light on my
1: laptop. Okay, you could apply two of those products in the morning. Let's say the vitamin C and the blue light serum because you know you're exposed to more of those environmental aggressors during the day, and then your hyperpigmentation serum you'd use at night. I see. What are your top three Paula's Choice products? Like, if you could only pick three. Oh! I know, I know. Killing me. Um, so I think about what I would pack with me on a trip. What do I not want to be without? And number one would be the ultra gentle cleanser from our calm line. That um, I used to use our Moisture Boost cleanser, which is discontinued, and I used that for years. And I was it's one of the only discontinuations we've ever done that I've just been like, what am I going to do? This is my cleanser. This is, you know, what do I do? And then I tried the Calm one and I was like, okay, okay, now, all right, this is next level. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I do. And now I'm just, I won't be without it. What do you find your skin benefits from the most with this, with the Calm, the Ultra Gentle Cleanser? I don't always like keep track of how often or, or how long I'm spending washing my face, like maybe okay. some nights it's 20 seconds, some nights it's longer. No matter how long I use this cleanser, it just never makes my skin feel dry or tight. And it rinses easily. Again, I wear that tinted mineral sunscreen, which not every cleanser can remove. This does. And it does it without being harsh. And it leaves my skin feeling soft. Yeah, I, I like it as well. It checks every box. I just think, what more could I ask for in a facial wash? So there's that. Then there's um, the Calm 1% BHA exfoliant. I've used. We've had a 1% BHA exfoliant ever since I started at Paula's Choice, and I've I've used iterations of that formula without fail. Uh, And then the last one I would say would be our the Pro Collagen Multi Peptide Booster. That's the new one in the pink bottle. That's the new one. Yep, that's the Think Pink. Um, it, it replaced our original peptide booster, which I was also a fan of. But I, I, I just, I just think this one is just such a beautiful evolution of that formula.
0: Yes, I. Whenever I put that on, I feel like I'm wearing makeup without wearing makeup. Like I'm like I just
1: instantly look just better. Yeah, it has um, an ingredient in there called glycerol glucoside. Nothing to do with the peptide, but. That is an amazing humectant that has these beautiful um, texture refining properties um, without being irritating. So we just, I i discovered that ingredient a few or a couple of years ago. And when we started talking about this formula, like we have to use this. We have this, this product is crying out for that type of ingredient. Yeah, I love it. I love it. My final two questions for you. I have noticed that there's
0: that kind of link between how positive I'm feeling and my skin. So when I do have a skin issue, it impacts my overall mood. Like it impacts my overall happiness. I look at it. It makes me unhappy and I probably shouldn't care as much. Um, but how do you personally keep a positive attitude while dealing with skin issues? I would imagine that having knowledge and knowing like I have the tools to put together a plan to address this does kind of help with your, you know, mental calibration of dealing with skin issues.
1: Yeah. That definitely helps, but there, even with that knowledge, which that's that's where we're trying to impart to, to consumers, you still have that waiting period. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're where you're waiting for yes, the problem yes. to go away. Yes. You, you know, you know you've done all you can and it's still staring you in the face. So I think what helps me the most is that there's it's just knowing that this too shall pass, and everyone <laughs> has their skin struggles. Yes. No matter your age, no matter your your ethnicity, you know, where you live, at one point or another, you'll meet that rarefied person that says that they just have normal skin. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) If anything, what's normal about skin is that it can be highly abnormal. Right, 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 (laughs) right. That is so true. That
0: is so true. That is so true. And, And yeah, this too shall pass is honestly a really great reminder and results do not happen overnight. And the more you can educate yourself and pick better products, like that's the most that you can be asked to do as a consumer, right? Just like know what you're using and try to use the best stuff you
1: can. Knowing that the best doesn't have to mean the most expensive. Yes. Yes. You no. Know, Cause again, I, I I really want to impart to your listeners that there are truly good and bad products in all price ranges. And take it from me, how much you spend is not a guarantee that you're going to get the results you want, which is why it's so important to always come back to those ingredients and and developing uh, at least a working understanding of of what is going to help your skin. And even more important, knowing what's going to harm your skin so that you don't keep being disappointed. You don't keep uh, setting your skin back when you want to see it move forward. Yeah, so important. Final question for you, when do you feel most beautiful? I don't know if I've ever been asked that, oh my gosh, you know I don't mean this to sound uh corny, but I would what immediately comes to mind is when my husband looks at me., oh, I love that We've been together seventeen years and married for twelve of those, and I still catch him looking at me, and it's just. It's not like you know. I'm checking you out. It's <laughs> there's so much love there. Yeah, and and it's like I know that he, when he looks at me, he sees me for me, and, and it's more than just the physical package because it, that that is beauty. I mean, beauty beauty is the whole person, you know, including their spirit and their personality and the energy that they put out into the world. It's it's you know the 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 skincare is essential, and the makeup is a nice extra. But you know if you're All the makeup in the world can't mask ugly. And by that, I mean, not an ugly looking person, just an ugly spirit, an ugly personality. Yeah,
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with me and with the listeners today. It was um, a a real education. And I just love, love I really, truly love everything Paula's Choice is doing to educate people about skincare. It's so important.
1: Uh well, that is that is our our lifeblood. It's our legacy. And uh it's been my privilege not only to speak with you today, but to be a part of this this mission with this company that is um you can come to dot com and and just get such a great research supported education about skincare and cosmetics ingredients, and you could completely ignore our products. Right. I would urge you to take a look. But at the same time, you know, we make a ton of information available for free to help empower you. So use it. Yeah, no, it's incredible.
0: It's incredible. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your evening and really appreciated chatting
1: with you today. Again, my pleasure, Brooke. Thank you so much.
0: So this was my conversation with Brian. I hope you found it as informative as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did during the conversation and stay tuned because we're going to have a little bonus clip all about SPF and sun care. There is a lot to go over in this one hour. So a bonus clip is coming your way all about sunscreen. Such an important topic. Thank you so much for listening.